two. Log Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Rock. Rock. Yay! Welcome to the show. Yes. Yeah. And the door opens right. to the coach. Everybody can Perfect. Here we are. All yeah. right. Thank you, bus people. Okay. A little chilly down here yeah. in Florida now. We, we've got winter this now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Man. we were. I know how you guys were down there pretty pretty good a few days ago. Or was when was it down in the 30s over there? Yeah, it just, it just it hit us around our area here. It got down into the low 40s, but it's not supposed to get above 67, 68 for the next eight days. I mean, for the high. So, Ooh. wow. Yeah, that's like pretty. Yeah, that's you know that's indoor indoor weather there. That's you know, but I'll probably end up going yeah. out playing golf at least one of those days, if not two. Excuse me. So get the golf but, Yeah, it's it's really beautiful when you go out there and start playing golf when it's like sixty eight degrees. You know that as long as there's no wind, it's just gorgeous out there. Yeah. 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 The wind just slices into you though. And, Makes makes a difference. That's when you have to wear a parka to play golf. That's Ooh. does hinder your game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but here we are back. Twenty twenty is gone. It's out of here. It's done. We're in twenty twenty one. Congratulations to all of you who made it to twenty one, twenty twenty one, and there uh, we're looking forward to another good year of all about wine and articles and stories and guests and all sorts of things. We had a good, good closing to 2020. We had last, what, three months, we had a good guests coming on and it was a good way to end the year. And we hope to continue the pattern. We've got some that are, we're looking at lining up to start out the first couple of months here and we will Hopefully stack them on up and give you guests on the show and information and stories and talks and all that from the guests throughout 2021. If you know of anyone in the wine industry or if you are in the wine industry, then contact us, email us, and we will contact you and see if we can't get you back and in, into the show sometime this year. So we're always looking for guests. It's a ongoing search. Uh, try to get you on. So just um, be available. Be available. Be available on Thursdays. Uh, we do. 
we have had some instances that, you know, it's different days or, you know, recorded type of thing. But to go live, it's Thursday and it's 7 yeah. p.m. Eastern time. You know, if you can swing it, if not, and it's, you know, just can't do it, then we'll we'll find something. We'll do something else uh, another had, day. But uh, We've had people in other countries yeah. and around the world and all that. We've had to record other times. But yeah. most of the time, <laughs> you know, if you can make it on Thursday, it's best for us. So. Okay, and, and let's see. Oh, I'm I'm gonna. Christmas is gone, and Festivus, and uh, Kwanzaa, and a New Year, and what am I forgetting? Hanukkah, and everything has pretty much done. I mean, even Epiphany was uh, what day for yesterday. That's, so yeah. the ho- the holiday season is over, but. That doesn't mean that you can't keep in mind a bunch of the books and stuff that our guests have written and have told us about. So, as always, I'm going to call on Mike's memory here to mm. tell us about the the Last books year. that some of the guests have and uh, some of the things that they have available out there that we would like to see you get participate in I'm sorry. listen to I think my, microphone, my microphone is breaking up and I, I can't uh, obviously my audio is down here all in that memory get that memory up yes. yeah um based on my recollection uh thank you for that <laughs> ron it's, uh, based on my recollection uh, from Last year, uh, from shows before, October 8th, <laughs> there goes my voice. We had uh, co directors Mark Johnson and Mark Ryan, and writer Michael Karam, uh, who uh, wrote the book The Wines of Lebanon. Uh, and he was also the author of a documentary, and the documentary was called Wine and War The Untold Story of Wine in the Middle East. Uh, it's a movie about survival, resilience, and the struggles. Uh, wine has been in Lebanon's culture for 7,000 plus years. Uh, and if you go to the uh, website, which I'll give you, um, and watch the movie, they are raising money for CAPHO, C-A-P-H-O, which is a great, great, great organization. Um, but uh, go to wineandwar.com and click on the Watch Now button. Uh, which will take you to Altavod, Altavod, which is a, a couple of family service, streaming service, I, I believe, uh, and um, view the movie. And um, it's what, like 90 minutes, I think? But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting. Great, a lot of history uh, about that yeah. region and all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, very, very good. Uh, well done. Um, then on October 15th, we welcomed back to the show, Jim Lochran. Uh, he is a certified wine educator and author. Uh, you can uh, check out his website at Jim That's uh, J I M L A U G H R E N.com. And, um, He's just continuously, continuously writing, uh, and he's he's trying to make wine accessible to the people and get rid of the fancy lingo and everything. And you can uh, get a hold of his 15-minute guides. He has two of them right now, a 15-minute guide to red wine, which is only 28 pages, uh, 6 through 21 are actual text, and then 22 through 28, page, the last couple of pages, few pages, are recommendations. And it's an easy guide. It's, it's a great uh, great thing to have with you for red wine and 
If you're into white wine or you're not sure, you can check out his quick 15-minute guide to white wine, which is also uh, a great read and uh, has, has some really, really good information in it. Um, we moved on to our Halloween special on October 29th, welcoming back Joy Neighbors. We hadn't heard from her in a couple of years. Uh, she authored uh, the Family Tree Cemetery Field Guide, uh, which is a guide on uh, how to find, record, and preserve your ancestors' graves and your family history. Uh, some of the topics include cemetery records, uh, crash course, uh, finding your ancestors' graves. Uh, there's parts on uh, planning your trip uh, to the cemetery, uh, researching, making sense of your research, and digging deeper, no pun intended, um, and other <laughs> records uh, preserving cemeteries and everything. Uh, the book is available in hard copy and electronic format uh, through Amazon. Barnes and Nobles, and several other bookstores. So check that out. I that know, is Joy Neighbors, the Family Tree Cemetery. I know field. you're interested mm-hmm. in in cemeteries and all that your, yourself. Have you uh, got the book yet? No, I I started. Uh, I did like the like the intro, you know, pre- preview it. But yes, that's that's mm-hmm. going to be that is it's yeah since October. It's still on my list, and I think she actually put that out in 2017. It's just, yeah, it's been been out know, for a few years now. I didn't find out about it until, until she came on the show, and and uh, um, so yeah, I definitely definitely want to pick that up um, because it, it it does have some interesting topics and and a lot of uh, things that uh, you something know, you, you're in, you might interested in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, finally, November nineteenth, we welcomed Michael Brown, author of Pinot Rocks. He's also a winemaker. And uh, Pinot Rocks is a uh, book as well as an audio format uh, that was actually done by William Shatner. And I thought I had a, I don't have a quote from Star Trek. No. Anyway, yeah, Captain Kirk himself did the audio book version of his book. Uh, You can find it at Amazon.com. Search for Pinot Rocks, P-I-N-O-T. R-O-C-K-S. It's available in just about any format. Uh, the audio format is great. And um, he started writing about four and a half years ago. And I released it, uh, I believe, on uh, the week before or the week of uh, November 19th. And yeah. it is, or, or was at least, the number one bestseller on Amazon. That's Michael Brown and the book Pino Rocks. And that... Keep it in my desk. That's all I have. Um, I think I think yeah. that covers them all. Yeah, we had mm-hmm. a lot of prolific authors and the movies and all that mm-hmm. on there. So had some great guests end up last year. So the uh, but check out all that, Mike. Thank you. Uh, the uh, list hopefully grows. We got some other guests coming up that are authors also. So maybe we'll have more yeah. you can check out. But uh, this. The uh, 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 Jim Lochran's guide to red wines and white wines is really inexpensive, and you can download onto your pads or phone or whatever and take it with you and all that. And yeah. Joy Neighbors has been involved with uh, cemeteries and doing that type of research and all that for a long time. In fact, she even has a blog that is mm-hmm. called a grave interest, which in yeah. about the cemeteries and, and things like that. And she's been our guest in the past. She was this year. It's been a couple of years before, since she was, but she, uh, we've talked about haunted wineries and haunted distilleries and haunted places and all that, uh, on our October show. So that's why she's, 
part of our our family of guests that we've had back uh, three or four times. So, so there we go. Thank you, Mike. Um, and thank you to our guests. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got some information to pass out to you today. I, I want one of the things I got over the holiday season. Uh, engineer, my wife. Uh, ordered me a couple of books. Uh, we've had the people who we've talked to, uh, in fact, the ones that you just heard, uh, particularly Michael Brown was one of me, suggested some books. And so another guest, too, and it wasn't Michael Brown or Jim Loughran. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. Um, oh, there was another guest in there. Um, but he suggested a couple of books too, and uh, I got him. Uh, I was uh, surprised she ordered them for me. One of them is <clears throat> one of them is called, excuse me, Neurogastronomy, and this is subtitled "How the Brain Creates Flavor and Why It Matters." And it's it's an interesting book. It has some really some fascinating approaches in here it's some of the stuff is the i had to go through and say okay i can understand that but that really sort of doesn't make sense but yeah yeah it does you know it's one of those type of books but some of the sub uh headings is noses and smells and part two is making pictures of smells. And part three, creating flavor. And part four, why it matters. And there is a section on here that talks about wine and how smell uh, is affected by uh, how the smell affects the taste and the well, the concept, the whole thing behind it. So, it's interesting. Look, I, I'm sorry. Wasn't that uh, neuroenology? Uh, uh, how the brain perceives aroma, taste, etc. Yeah, um, neuroenology. That was okay. one of this is girl gastronomy, um, okay, which is yeah. by the same author. Um, this is, I think, the neuroenology is was by Gordon Shepard. This one also uh, is by Gordon Shepard. So it's uh, a, a good book. Uh, it's got a lot of information and all that. And as I find things that apply to wine and different stuff, I will be sharing it with you. Uh, I do a lot of reading and. It's, you know, I start reading this and all of a sudden I find something else and I start reading that and I'll find something else and I'll read that and I get myself caught up in all sorts of different things. But that was one of the books you also got. Me. I was just going to say that was one of the books uh, Jim rep- recommended uh, when he was on, um, if my memory serves me correctly, back in March of the of, oh. uh, last year. Okay. Yeah, we were yeah, talking I... about books. and Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he wrote um, a beer drinker's guide to knowing and enjoying fine wine. That was his first That's one. That's right. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. There you go. Okay. I, yeah. I, 
we, I'm getting confused on who we talked to and that what was it was we talked about. No, was, but yes, back in March, it's hard, hard to, hard to uh, remember that one. <laughs> yeah, really, that's a long time ago. Uh, Beer Drinker's yeah. Guide to, to Wine and How to Enjoy. Yeah, that was. That was uh, uh, another one of the books. If you're looking for something that's simple, and if you are a beer drinker, this that's another great book to introduce you to wine a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. He introduced uh, uh, neural gastronomy. He he said on that. But then there was another one. Now this one I believe was recommended by Michael Brown that I got uh, called Wine Simple by Aldo Schaum or Psalm. And I just got that. She ordered this for me also. And this was fascinating. Aldo Psalm is uh, uh, highly respected and uh, well-known sommelier. Uh, and he has worked with chefs around the world. He's the wine director at the three Michelin-starred La Bernardin uh, restaurant for over a decade. And he has written uh, different books and done different stuff, you know, involved with wine. And he has came out with this book, this particular book called Wine Simple. And he says it's a totally approachable guide. You know, we're always hearing that term, you know, this wine is really approachable. But this is, uh, he calls it a totally approachable guide to wine. And it's really a strange a strange approach to how it's written. I mean, the first section is an introduction to Aldo Salm and how we are telling about him. Then a section, why do we need another book on wine, which is only like one page long, and how this book works, which is only one page long. And then he just goes into... Uh, just all sorts of stuff, how wine is made, but it's not like pages and pages of it. It's just like one page, how wine is made, because that's not the topic of the book. And nature's part tells about climate and weather and leaf work. And the winemaker's part, chapelization, fermentation, temperature, cold soaking, whole cluster fermentation, malolactic fermentation, longer lees contact, aging vessels, fining, filtering, resting, and he doesn't give page after page of this stuff. He doesn't go on and and continue, you know, to fill your mind with a bunch of stuff that you get bored with, which is very easy to do on some of the wine books out there because, you know, they want to be sure you know everything. And some of these authors like to say, look, I know a lot about this subject and I'm going to show you in this book. Well, you don't need it. For example, chapelization. This is what he says. Depending on the country's winemaking laws, some winemakers might chapelize the grape must, meaning enrich it with a restricted amount of sugar. Sounds bad, but it's not. In cooler regions where grapes have lower sugar levels, this process raises the wine's alcohol level and gives it more backbone. And that's it. That's all he has to say about chapelization. And the same thing with all these other topics I just read you. It's just a little paragraph, maybe two, 
and that's it. He talks about wine vessels, the uh, tank, the amphora, cask, barrel, the wine egg, and then he goes into white wines and red and rosé and orange and sparkling. And then he talks about sweetness in wines. And then he talks a little bit about biodynamic. And then the key varietals, he talks about the different types of uh, white and then red varietal types. But none of it is heavy reading. None of it is uh, pages long when you're starting to talk about something. Uh, when he starts talking about something, it's simple and easy and uh, is like sitting down and reading a little short newspaper article. Just boom, here's some information for you, and you learn from it. So I really enjoy the book. It's it's a easy read, fun book. It's a good reference guide if you're looking for a, a dictionary-type guide in wine. This is well-written by someone who is very knowledgeable and knows what he's talking about. And it's it's really, I, I'm really quite impressed with the whole thing. So it's called Wine Simple, and it is available through Amazon. I, that's where this was ordered, through Amazon. Uh, it also tells about different regions, uh, French, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Germany, uh, California, South America, South Africa, Austria, Australia, just different regions. And then how to drink wine is section in the back. Uh, and it talks about the aroma wheel, which I've mentioned the aroma wheel in the past. Uh, this is uh, a simple aroma wheel. And then tasting and body, what to look for in body. So just a lot of stuff. Uh, it's simple, easy. If I were to write a book, I think this would be the ideal format to follow because it is such an easy read and not overbearing. I do want to share something with you, though, and this is he has some recommendations. Let me find it here. It's, I've got this glossary, learning how to make wine, praise of yeah, white wine and cheese. He's even got a section on that here. This is an expanded version of Jim Lochran's little short version of wine, red wine and white wine. If you're looking for something, once you've got Jim Lochran's version of red wine and white wine and you feel you need to find out more, then this is, I think, the way to go. Get get something like this and it will expand your knowledge <clears throat> excuse me uh, expand your knowledge quite a bit okay building a flavor library what I'm looking for a meow tells you tips for successful tasting wine hosts oh wow I'm looking for a he has a list of different sites that he recommends that to go to and get some information and I can't seem to find it oh well uh, quite a few of them that, that he mentions is ones that I have referenced in the show before uh, gotten information from them referenced in the show before but uh, oh well I can't find it. I will run across it and bookmark it 
so I can tell you all what it is. But a very good book, very simple, easy read, Wine Simple by Aldo, A-L-D-O, Sean, O-S-O-H-M. And it's, uh, again, it's available on Amazon. We have heard, <coughs> excuse me, we have heard a lot of stuff about the spotted lantern fly. It was originally something I brought up in, oh, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, maybe a year ago. I can't remember how long ago it was when I first spotted lantern fly. Um, no, it was more than a year ago, I guess, because it was first reported in the U.S. six years ago when it was found in eastern Pennsylvania. So I guess it's been a number of years since I first said something about it, and we've been following the progression of it going around the country. But spotted lanternfly, like I say, first reported in eastern Pennsylvania, it uh, – let me just read this little thing. This is very short. It's from growingproduce.com. It is a little short thing here. It says, the predator of fruit crops and other plants has since spread from Pennsylvania to parts of at least seven other states. And they've detected it in Colorado and in California recently, too. This is a pretty pretty recent article here so they're probably including those as long along with Ohio and uh, Virginia New York but is Florida on the itinerary for this invader the state's Department of Plant Industry or DPI was issued a pest alert for it here's why the Sunshine State has the spotted lanternflies preferred plant host the tree of heaven, and that is the spotted lanternfly's favorite food there. Uh, I'll give you the scientific name, but I'll probably destroy it, so you, so you uh, probably won't even uh, be able to understand it anyway. But tree of heaven has been documented in Florida as far south as Hillsborough County. Now, that is actually around Tampa. That is Hillsborough County there. However, the invasive tree is relatively scarce compared with northern states. The presence of other potential host plants, such as chinaberry and Virginia creeper, puts Florida at some risk for establishment of this pest. Native to China, the spotted lanternflies became a significant agricultural and ornamental pest in South Korea and Japan. The spotted lanternfly has a broad range, a broad host range, stone fruits, and especially tree of heaven. So there you go. These the possibilities of Florida getting it are there but less so than in other states. The tree of heaven which I'm not familiar with the tree of heaven. I, I, you know, it's not one that, you know, you, you normally hear. So engineer just brought me a wine for this evening. We didn't open up one beforehand. So uh, she decided that she would 
do it while we're on the program. And she brought me a wine. It is Noble Vines Collection, N-O-B-L-E, Noble Vines Collection, uh, number 337, it says, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, California 2018 Vintage. And I need to turn on the light to read this to you because it is written on a black label. And I don't have a light on, so I can't read it. Okay, there we go. It says, the legacy of the world's, uh, whatever that word is, noblest vines. Oh, geez. Do I have a magnifying glass over here? It doesn't look like it. Always supposed to have one around the computer, and I don't see one around the computer. Okay, thank you. Oh, here we go. Excuse me. The legacy of the world's noblest vines is written in numbers. These numbers identify superior vine stocks that produce exceptional vines or wines, uh, probably from the classic clones and stuff that they got that. So, Noble Vines Collection, it, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, California, 2018, and it says Noble Vines Collection. Oh, I thought that was a certification stamp, but it's not. Noble Vines, and I guess that's is the name of the winery, Noble Vines. Behind these red numbers is a noble legacy, and that's, it is a red number on the label. Cabernet Sauvignon 337 vine stock originated at the Great Chateau of Bordeaux. Esteemed by nobility for centuries, certain superior vine stocks have proved their exceptional quality over time. Noble Vines takes the best of these wine stocks, identified today by number, and cultivates them in California. With its rich, full-bodied cherry and blackberry notes and suave tannins, Noble Vines Cabernet Sauvignon 337 displays the traits that have earned this stock its noble reputation. Pair with ribeye steak, roast chops, or sliders. At noblevines.com, N-O-B-L-E, noblevines.com, vented and bottled by Noble Vines in Manteca, California. I'm not sure where Manteca is. I'm not familiar with that town, Manteca. So that's what I am having now. Let me... I don't remember us picking this up, so I don't know. Mm, oh, my, that's got a, a great aroma. Some plumminess. Blackberry. Hint of chocolate in there. This is a great aroma on this thing. Hmm. Never judge a wine on your first sip. Always on your second. 
third or fourth or fifth. Oh, very nice. It's got a little bit of tannins, a little acid bite to it, but not not overpowering. A little bit of tannins in it, which makes it nice. Uh, it's not real dry, though. It's, it's the aging potential. It's not real long from now. It is got some fruitiness to the taste. Uh, you not picking up the chocolate in the taste. Very distinct in the nose, but not in the taste. It's got that nice Cabernet uh, mouthfeel to it, though. It's got a, uh, the classic Cabernet, uh, like I say, mouthfeel taste. The finish is not real long, but it's pleasant. It's not burning or anything. Sometimes, a lot of times, you'll find uh, Cabernets that will tend to uh, the acid tends to come up a little bit too much. This one doesn't. It's really a nice finish on this with uh, good flavors. And it's lingering. Even as I talk, I'm still picking up some little hints of the of the plum in the finish here. So very nice wine. Noble Vines a Collection. That's in Manteca, California. Uh, if you get a chance, Mike, look. did you? Where's between Manteca? Between Modesto and Stockton, just oh. east of San Francisco. Oh, so it's over in the valley, in the Central Valley. Yeah. Oh. So, no, all right. I just never heard of Manteca. Thank you. Uh, so... I would recommend it. If you get a chance, if you see it out there, pick it up. 337, big red 337 on the label there. So that's not not uh, easy to miss there. It's, it's right there. All right. Uh, some information for you. I've talked about that. Let's see. I want to tell you about some other stuff that I saw that I – thought was interesting. The first one is a little short article I saw that came out a couple weeks ago. An illegal wine production operation disguised in a wastewater treatment plant in Rainsville in northeast Alabama. Yes, and a treatment plant. Alabama's got some pretty strict rules on their wines and stuff like that. They tax pretty high, so when you start hiding it from them, they get a little upset. Short article. Let me read it to you. Just easier that way than trying to paraphrase it. Uh, The officers from DeKalb County Sheriff's Office discovered the winery after an anonymous tip-off. Rainsville Mayor Roger Lingerfelt gave the authorities access to the plant where they found large quantities of illegal alcohol as well as a winery that, quote, appeared to be in operation for a long period of time. End quote. DeKalb County Sheriff Nick Weldon said is one of the biggest illicit operations uncovered in the county and possibly the state. 
You know, classic moonshine, Alabama there is what it is. I want to thank the mayor for his cooperation and willingness to allow law enforcement to do our job and shut something like this down. He said, well, I, I was thanking the mayor to do it. Huh? A big thanks to the public and their tips against all illegal activities. Once again, it doesn't matter who you are. No one is above the law. We won't tolerate anyone using their position to hide their illegal actions at the taxpayer's expense. And I don't know what position somebody had that thought they were above the law. I guess wastewater plant is important in Alabama. I, I don't know. According to WAF48, the 62-year-old supervisor of the plan has been suspended without pay following the discovery. He has been arrested and charged with unlawful possession of illegally manufactured alcoholic beverage, a misdemeanor, and use of official position for personal gain. So I guess that's the one who thought he was above the law. The cities of Collinsville, Henniger, and Fort Payne are currently permitted to sell alcohol in DeKalb County. However, Rainsville City Council approved a referendum to allow alcohol sales just last month. Three businesses, and they list them here, have applied and gained approval by the council and the Alabama Beverage Control to sell booze. So, an illegal operation in a water treatment plant. I guess it, that's a good place to hide it. You know, when think looking there for illegal operations. So... So there you go. I, that just that struck me as just an interesting, funny little thing there. I had to share that with you. Another article, a little short article, but this is an interesting one too, and I believe I'm going to read this one to you also. This is from Vitasphere, uh, Vitasphere magazine, and it is from... Uh, Monday, December 21st, so a couple weeks ago. And Vitasphere is a French magazine. Yeah. Article says, does biodynamic wine growing produce better quality wines? Now, this is an ongoing debate I've had. Uh, we've had people on who are, well, biodynamic people, ones who are on the board for biodynamic, president of the biodynamic organization, uh, people who are really big into biodynamics and all that, and they swear it is a much better wine. Uh, I, you know, okay, I'm not one to argue with them, but I haven't had an opportunity to really see how a biodynamic would jump out at me if I have one that is, you know, fully biodynamic, and I know it's biodynamic. Maybe just the thought that it is might influence me too. I don't know. But this article says, several producers tempted by biodynamic wine growing in Anjou asked Philippe Creton of the French Institute of Vine and Wine in Angers to assess the impact of biodynamics on the quality of the in wines. Creighton, quote, I approached the county's viticulture association and the Lord Chamber of 
agriculture, and we set up a trial plan to try to provide them with some answers. All right, this is this is a good approach here. I'm I'm, I'm liking this. With funding from the regional council and interlower, the bio Dynavin project, Biodynavin project got underway in 2016. The stakeholders observed the effects of using two biodynamic preparations in three organically farmed vineyards. So this this test, from what I just read from that line there, from what I understand, was not full biodynamic. They only used two of the the preps. Over three vintages, the technicians weighed the bearing wood, measured the growth of the shoot apexes, and took sterile samples from the clusters to study the yeast biodiversity on the grapes and then during spontaneous fermentation. And biodynamic uses all that now, remember. They also analyzed the must and wines in 30-liter small batch fermentation with added yeast, keen not to draw hasty conclusions. As the pandem- pandemic delayed processing of the data for the 2019 vintage, but he reveals that he did not notice any influence of the biodynamic preparations on vine growth or vigor. So there, if that was the criteria that they were see- seeking, they saw no difference. Okay. Growth and vigor, which is part of the ultimate wine. Again, creating even more confusion in my mind about biodynamic. However, adding 500 and 501 biodynamic preparations seems to have had an effect on the aromatic profile of the wines. There you go. Panel members tasted the wines blind in pairs and chose their preferred method. Quote, in 2017, they found the wine from the biodynamically farmed vineyard to be of higher quality four times. For one combination, they were unable to separate the wines. They expressed a preference for the classic wine just once. Explain Crediton. Sensitive crystallization produced the same results. So... I guess the aroma is where it's coming up and the taste. So maybe biodynamic is going to be a difference. These were blind tests. and These were the tests that I've said that needs to be done, and they did it. So maybe, just maybe, biodynamic is going to create something that is just a little bit better. And then that's what we're looking for in the, in the biodynamic movement. So there you go. That's Again, this just coming out, Visphere published a couple of weeks ago. So, and let me get out of this and go to the next one here. Uh, the world's best fortified wines. This, whenever they say the world's best, I don't know if it really is a a criteria that they 
go by if they how they do this but here's another the world's best fortified wines and this is uh they have the world's best white wines the world's best red the world's best rosé and yeah okay uh they're good the best fortified Quanta de Novel National Vintage Port in Spanish Score of 97, that's the highest score any of the ports got, $1,159. Yeah, okay. Number two, Graham's Stone Terraces Vintage Port, 96 score, $262. Big jump from a 97 score of 11,000, or 1,100 down to 262. Taylor's Varkelis Vina Velha Vintage Port, $262.96. A Taylor's Vintage Port, 95 score, $114. Dow's Vintage Port, 114 95 score. Uh, Francesca Vintage Port, 95 $111. You know, it's uh, amazing that we're getting such nice prices and high scores on ports that are classified as some of the world's best, and they're less than $200. So, you know, if you're a port fan, that's good news for you. If you're not a port fan, then you can go out and spurge and try yourself a bottle of port and not have to spend a, a tremendous amount of money to get yourself a very good port and see what you're missing or where you're at or what you're doing. So it's something that's that's good. Gallo is set to dominate the bargain basement. Buyout of a raft of Constellation brands has been given the go-ahead by regulators. Constellation had put up a bunch of wines up for sale, and Gallo bought them. And it looks like Gallo's going to now be the the leader in bargain basement. And you know the brands. You know all the brands because they're the ones that jump out at you on the shelf. Uh, Hogue, H-O-G-U-E, and Nobilo, um Let's see, Clonsbow. I'm trying to read these from a picture here, and it's hard to read. Clonsbow, uh, Black Box, uh, Rex Goliath, uh, Ravenswood. Uh, I can't make that. Oh, uh, Arbor Mist. A lot of these are all part of the Constellation brands that are being sold to Gallo. Gallo now expands their market tremendously, tremendously by doing that. FTC approved the deal only after Constellation agreed not to sell Gallo, the cheap sparkling wine brands Cooks, and J. Roger and Paul Masson Brandy, which would basically give Gallo world domination in the brandy department, so they decided to, no, we can't do that. But uh, there's a lot of others that are being sold there, so 
When you go out to buy stuff on there, if you're an anti-Gallo person, which some people are, I have met people who would never buy something from Gallo. And this is all back from uh, a a farm workers' strike against Gallo back in the early 70s. Uh, Gallo was unbelievably bad conditions for the workers. They went on strike, and they uh, got got some compensations and stuff and it, it made better conditions and Gallo was praised for listening to him and doing all that. But it's still from the older drinkers around still remember that and they won't have anything to do with Gallo because of it. But Gallo is getting lots and lots of brands out there now, lots and lots of uh, cheaper brands that you're going to be seeing and going to be not realizing that you are buying Gallo. Direct-to-customer bottle prices declined in this past year as sales rose. We expected that. uh, The direct-to-customer market quite a bit this past year, and uh, sales rose substantially because of COVID. Why else? Everything changed because of that. So that has changed the outlook on the on the market and everything because of uh, COVID, the prices and all that. Uh, nope, nothing else on that I wanted to tell you about. Let me eliminate that so I won't be stuck on it again. The... Uh, 750 Daily is a site that I read quite often and get information from for the show. Uh, you can subscribe to it, 750 Daily, uh, 7-S-C-V-E-N-50-F-I-F-T-Y, Daily, D-A-I-L-Y. A lot of information, a lot of good stuff on wines and stuff, and I, I do pick up a lot of information. But uh, top Wine Stories of 2020. I just want to hit this quickly for you here just because, well, when we get a new year, we always have to do the old top of the previous year, don't we? I mean, that seems like to be one of the main reasons why we look forward to a new year so we can talk about what we thought was the best of the previous. So, But top wine stories of 2020. Mal- uh, malolactic fermentation in wine. It is uh, much more complex than what people think. Malolactic fermentation is a second fermentation. It usually begins a few weeks or even months after alcoholic fermentation is finished and the grape must has become wine. And it can happen in varying degrees, and it can happen not just in wine, but in other stuff. And it creates oxygen and uh, it eats up the oxygen, creates carbon monoxide, which can cause bottles to explode. And malolactic fermentation has to be shut down, and all the yeast has to be killed, because if it doesn't, you can have bottles explode, and you can have problems. Okay, so uh, the article 
was widely viewed, and a lot of Chardonnays have a malolactic fermentation, a second fermentation. The malolactic acids are the uh, uh, same acids that you will find in milk, hence the butteriness that you find in certain Chardonnays. That's just the malic acid, the second fermentation. So that was a big article in 2020. Another one, understanding microbial terror in wine. This was kicked around a lot, and I even talked about it, is how the microbes in a vineyard affect a vineyard. Uh, the effect on bacteria, yeast, and other microorganisms in the vineyard and how it carries through into the final product. Interesting, uh, was followed a lot. I read a lot about that this past year, one of the bigger articles on 750 Daily. We just talked about this next one a couple of weeks ago uh, or so. Natural wines, clean natural wines, how winemakers craft that and what they do to get that. Uh, conventional winemakers can use a range of additives, uh, including yeast nutrients and selected yeast and acid and microbial inhibitors and sterilizers and all sorts of stuff to protect the wine, to enhance it and all that. They also filter the wine and remove the unwanted microbes. Natural winemakers rely solely on their understanding of what's happening. And they do add a small amount of sulfur dioxide or SO2 because if not, then they could have a problem with it continuing to ferment, which could give it a problem. Excuse me. So that was another big article for 750. Number two on the list, and this one we talked about a lot, the evolution of premium canned wine. All over the place. Canned wine is everywhere. You find it in every store and all that. Total Wines has a whole section dedicated to canned wines. Now, when I first went to Total Wines, oh, gee, when they move into the area, I guess it's been 17, 18 years ago, they first moved into the area here in, in the Tampa area. First Total Wines I went to, they had like, I don't know, 10, if that many, not even, maybe five different canned wines that were available. Now you go into it and it's like a whole roll full of different canned wines and all sorts of varieties and all sorts of companies and all sorts of different sizes and just unbelievable what's happening in the canned wine category. And I don't see it going away. I think it's going to get bigger. And it, it is growing. I mean, I it's not something I'm just saying. It it definitely is growing. The canned wine category is has exploded, particularly since COVID nineteen has jumped in. People have, have enjoyed that possibility of taking that individual can with them instead of sharing with someone or anything. So it is becoming the new big thing now. And then number one, 
talking about the Timorosa area of Italy and the white wines coming out of there. They're saying this is the most read article coming out of 750 Daily this past year. Uh, Piedmont white wines, uh, Chardonnays, uh, Riesings, uh, the uh, other wines coming out of Nobello, uh, Barbera. These are all popper wines coming from the grapes in the Piedmont region. So that is uh, Piemontese white, or future of the Piemontese, they call it. So those are the five top stories of 2020 in the 750 Daily. Okay, let me... I found something else that I was going to share with you on these. I usually mark these in the... My computer's acting up. I've been complaining about my computer for so long, and it's still acting up. It's not giving me any... Not giving me any breaks on doing stuff. Although, my headphone and... My microphone and headsets are working properly now, which is something I was battling at the end of last year a lot. Okay. Let's see. What is... That keeps on disappearing there. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've got some Gallo and their... New, that's something I was going to read you. Distributing wine yield, I think. I'm, uh, wine, fine wines stay stable through 2020. Uh, people are still buying expensive wines. I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, it's going to happen uh, no matter what happens in the world. Uh, the winemakers are saying that 2020 was a year that dropped them to their knees. California, especially the double whammy with the fires and the COVID-19s. And just about everybody's looking for an improvement coming up in 2021. It's like the the hope that springs eternal. Everybody thinks 2021 is going to be so much better. So, for the last note here, the wineries that I usually talk about, uh, all of them are basically telling you the same thing. You know, we do offer social distancing. We do offer curbside pickup. They are open. Most all the wineries are open now, but limited guests and limited things. But there is a winery here that caught my attention, Whispering Oaks Winery. They are located, uh, again, just west of Ocala and Gainesville in Florida. They are having a circus in town. Shows are Thursday through Sunday. The first show was today, January the 7th. It goes from January 7th through January 31st. So the uh, uh, circus is at Whispering Oaks Winery. Uh, tickets are 
twenty dollars twenty twenty five I guess. Twenty twenty five per adult, ten dollars for children under twelve. Bring your own chair and no outside coolers. You can buy stuff there. They have horses and they have a dog acts and they have well from these pictures here it looks like they have a pegasus in the circus and it looks like they have a a unicorn in the circus and i don't know i'm just looking at the pictures here so excuse me whispering oaks winery now this is every thursday through sunday through the 31st through the end of the month Twenty twenty-five per adult and ten dollars for children under ten. They're located at one oh nine three four County Road four seventy-five in Oxford, Florida. And their phone number three five two seven four eight zero four four nine and website www.winesofflorida.com. So you can check out the circus at a winery. Have yourself some wine, watch circus. Be sure to take take your folding chairs and all that. And if you go to the circus, let me know how it was. If they really do have a Pegasus or a and a unicorn there. And that's it for this week. First show of twenty. We should have a guest next week. So tune in for that. All right, very good. And next week, of course, it should be easy to figure out, is the 14th of January. I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Um, okay, well, welcome back to All About Wine as we start 2021. And um, that's uh, thank you for tuning in and hope everybody was uh, had a safe and happy uh, holidays, uh, Christmas and New oh. Year's. And um, we'll look forward to more shows this year. And um, I guess... Guess we're good. We'll see you all on the 14th. Thanks again, and have, be safe, and have a good week. Until Thanks for time. tuning in. Be safe. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website, at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. (laughs) 